Psalm 147. If you would open in your copy of God's Word or find an app that will get you to Psalm 147. Boys and girls, I know many of you are in our service today. I would invite you to follow along. You can have mom or dad help you find Psalm 147. The trick that I learned is when you're opening the Bible, you kind of find the middle and you open there and that's where you'll find the Psalms. So I'd encourage you, follow along the best you can. Psalm 147. It was really just a normal Monday morning for Jill. It wasn't a terrible day, but it certainly wasn't a good day. In fact, as Jill began to think about it, she had noticed that more and more of her days were beginning to feel like this, just gloomy. Her day began as her alarm clock went off and she moaned, as many of us do, rolling out of bed. Her back hurt. It had been hurting for several months and it always hurt worse in the morning. She stumbled towards the bathroom and in the dark she accidentally kicked the bottom, the side of her dresser, stubbing and bending back her small pinky toe, a jarring way to wake up on a Monday morning. When she made it to the bathroom, she flipped on the light and began to shake off the fog of sleep. And as soon as she did, she suddenly remembered the argument that she had had with her husband the night before. She and her husband, Jack, had had a, had a fight, not a huge one, right? They had mostly given those up years ago, but they hadn't really resolved it. It was the kind that lingered, and they had gone to bed with coldness and distance between them. She knew it may be several days before things were back to normal in the home. In fact, normal wasn't even that great anymore because marriage wasn't that great. Deep down, even though it wasn't terrible, she wanted so much more for her marriage. She wanted to be close to her husband, to understand what was going on in his life and in his mind. And she wanted his attention. She wanted to make him smile and to laugh together. And as she thought of all this, that old sadness began to creep back in. She wasn't miserable, but just sad. She headed to work, her job of 15 years, where she felt useful, but sometimes undervalued. The pay was decent, but insurance premiums were skyrocketing. And after taxes and bills, there wasn't much left over. And she wasn't, if she was honest, she wasn't sure how they were going to pay for college. But the worst part of her job was her manager. He was rough. He was good at his job, but he was overly critical, and especially of her. And just last week, he had taken credit for work that she had done. And she left on Friday just fuming inside and couldn't stop thinking about it. She sat down at her desk. She was about 10 minutes early. She hadn't prayed. She hadn't opened her Bible. And so she pulled out her phone and opened up her Bible app. But then Jill hesitated. Her life seemed so dull and so mundane. Deep down, even though things weren't terrible, her heart ached. She knew that things weren't as they should be, and she ached for her marriage. She worried about her kids. She was tired of her job, and she was lonely. She'd prayed about it all before, of course, but 
nothing really changed. How does Jill relate to God? How is Jill supposed to relate to a God she has never seen who is far off, it feels? How can she pray? How can she read? If she was honest, she was a little bit tired of trying. Let me open us in a word of prayer and then I'll read our psalm this morning. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word. We desperately, desperately need you. Reveal yourself to us in fresh ways this morning, I pray. Amen. I'd like to invite you to turn your attention to Psalm 147, and let's follow along together as I read this whole psalm. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcast of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the numbers of the stars, and he gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. So sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor is pleasure in the legs of man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. So praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. He sends out his command to the earth, and his word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and it melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. And he has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. This is the reading of God's word. How do you relate to God in the midst of your problems? What do you do when you're weary, tired, when your mind is dull, when your heart is distracted, and when your life seems overwhelming? How do you pray? How do you read? Perhaps another way we could ask the question would be like this. How does the existence of God affect the way you live? The God that you claim to worship, that I presume you came today to either hear about or to sing praises to, that this God, what difference does it make in how you live your life? I mean, does he really excite you? Does God actually make you happy, this God you claim to worship? I mean, why? 
Why worship him? What's the big deal? Psalm 147 is a remarkable psalm that celebrates the vast goodness of this God. A God who is infinitely high and yet condescends. It celebrates the greatness and the condescending goodness of a God who comes down and involves himself in our problems. It's a psalm for all of God's people at any time. A time that it it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It's a psalm for the good times and it's a psalm for the bad times. It's a psalm for the weary and the broken. And it's a psalm for the strong and the triumphant. And as we'll see this morning, Psalm 147 is a psalm that models for us how and why we should praise God. At any place in time for 10,000 reasons and 10,000 more. We'll see that this morning. Actually, we'll see 30 reasons. 30 reasons in this text. And one of the first things I want you to notice, (laughs) y'all are scared, that sermon's got 30 points. You're wrong. It has 38. There's four at the beginning and four at the end, all right? First thing I want you to notice, though, if you look down at this text, is I want you to notice that this is written by someone who lives in a broken world. Someone who lives in a world of pain. It's a world like Jill's. With backaches, stubbed toes, unsatisfying marriages, high insurance premiums, and jerks for bosses. Take a look. It's a psalm written by and for people who are hurting. Look at verse 2. We see the psalmist praises a God that will or is rebuilding Jerusalem. Now, what's that have to do with hurting people? Well, okay, if you think about the history of Israel, whether that's familiar to you or not, that's, that's okay. If you're familiar with the history of Israel, you'll remember that because of sin, that's the key there, because of sin, because of the sin of God's people, God allowed and even raised up foreign nations to come and to attack the nation, the northern and the southern kingdoms of Judah and Israel. Jerusalem in the south especially was sacked by the Babylonians and the temple was destroyed and many citizens were carried off as slaves into other countries. There was not a single person in the nation whose life was not turned upside down by events such as these. We could say that people there were suffering because of sin. They were suffering because they were sinners themselves, right? They caused problems but they were also living in a world where things go very bad. There are sinners living in a fallen world. Verse 2 also praises God because he gathers the outcasts, the exiles of Israel. As I said before, due to a long stretch of wicked kings in in the history of this nation, God's people rebelled against God and it led to chaos in the land. Due to idolatry and sin, sin literally tore apart God's nation. It literally tore them in two. God's chosen people, this special family that had been selected by him to be a blessing to all the nations of the world, to bring good things and to make the world happy and blessed, they couldn't even get along. They were fighting each other. 
And as a result, they were scattered into pagan nations. This reminds us, I think these two points remind us, how much sin frustrates and complicates and ruins our lives and especially even our relationships. All the arguments, the bitterness, the division, the tension that you face in your family and in your world and in your life, perhaps even with people who are on the road beside you. It's all because of sin. It could be minor stuff like Jill and her husband, or it could be bigger. It could be across the whole spectrum of relationship problems. And this psalm bears evidence that this is a piece of literature that comes out of a real world, written by real people with real sufferings and difficulties. And that's even more explicit there in verse 3. The psalmist makes it clear that this is a God who's being praised by broken-hearted people, by wounded, needy people. We just sang this morning, we celebrated Almost everything you heard was either about the brokenness and the neediness of man or God's ability to help needy people. We are needy people. Some of you may be quick to admit that. Some of you may not be. But we all have to admit that we carry wounds, deep emotional pain, struggles, fears, anxieties in our heart. We, we've all been brokenhearted. If you've been alive for more than a minute, you've discovered that this world, as wonderful as it can be, is still full of things that can go very wrong. Little girls get stung by bees. Or sometimes they get pneumonia. Marriages are hard, far harder than it seems it should be. Our bodies break down, they rebel against us, and eventually fall apart. Every one of us carries Wounds and disappointments and heartaches and anxieties and regrets and fears and depressions. And to make matters worse, we're surrounded by wicked people. Verse 6 reminds us of that. Humanity has proven all throughout history to be a wicked and cruel bunch. The strong generally oppress the weak, and the weak are generally taken advantage of. When it comes down to it, the universal rule about people is people always, always, always love themselves. Each one of us is a sinner living in a world broken by sin with billions of other sinners. And guess what? They sin. We're sinners in a broken world surrounded by other sinners who sin. So life is hard, isn't it? And no matter what the Bible says, no matter how great the Bible says that God is, it can really be hard for us to see him and for us to praise him and to, and to see him as beautiful, as exciting as he really is. But that's exactly what this psalm teaches us to do. It teaches us how to take our eyes off ourselves and off our devices and phones and off our circumstances and to look up. And to rejoice in who God really is and what he is really like. There are 30 distinct reasons in this psalm for why you and I should praise God. 
and that's birth. This, they're praises that are sung by brokenhearted people in the midst of a world where they are full of problems. And each one of these reasons to praise God, each characteristic could stand alone as a sufficient reason to praise God. We could spend plenty of time on just one, and just one would be enough to praise him for all eternity. But this morning, we're going to go rapid fire through all 30 of these. I'm not going to number them. I'm not going to organize them. Those of you who are note takers, just, just relax. It's all written down in Psalm 147. So just listen. And my prayer has been that each one of us would gain new reasons. We move from 10,000 to 10,001 and 10,002, new reasons to praise God. Because he's already praiseworthy. We just, we're just not good at seeing it or we're not good at doing it. So let's go straight through this psalm. Verse 1, church, you should praise God because he is lovely. There is no greater joy and there is no greater delight than to gaze upon the Lord and his beauty. Boys and girls, if I could tell you one thing about that I've learned in my life is that the, there's so many exciting and fun things in this world, but there's nothing greater, there are no greater pleasures, and nothing lasts longer than seeing and knowing God. He is good, and he will make you happy. And what a sweet, what a sweet joy it is. When God's people recognize that it is good to praise him and they do so as a response to what they see. You should praise God because he rebuilds, verse 2, what sin destroys. Our God does not abandon those who fall into sin. He does not rebel against those who rebel against him. But instead he pursues, he repairs, and he restores. He rebuilds the city. Ruined by sin, he gathers in the exiles who have been scattered by sin, and he delights to do so. You should praise the Lord, church, because even though he dwells on high, he heals the brokenhearted and wounded people. Though we have a God who dwells in unapproachable light, who is served by myriads of angels, who have body parts that do nothing other than protect their face from his beauty, he cares about your emotional needs. The brokenhearted and the needy. And he acts to heal. You should praise the Lord. Verse 4, because not only has he created the stars, but he counts them. And he names them and he sustains them. I didn't have time to find the numbers, but I've read in the past that there are some seven, I don't know how many stars there are. It's hilarious to read. People think they know how many there are. But there are 7,000 or so languages in the world. And from what I've read, if you were to take every single word of every single language and try to name stars, you would run out. We couldn't even combine all of the known words in the world to name the stars. Humans can't even name the stars. We don't have enough resources. This is why uh, our smartest NASA astronomers name stars things like 1-24N semicolon heart, right? Because we don't have the resources. God made them. He speaks to them. He calls them by name and he sustains them. You should praise him for that. He deserves glory. You should praise and marvel at the Lord because he is great, verse 5. Our Lord and our King is great, magnanimous, 
infinite and inconceivably glorious. No artist, no poet, no singer, no scientist could describe or can ever describe or reckon with his glory and the number of his excellencies. You should praise God because verse 5, he is vast in his power. Boys and girls, I want you to look at me. I want you to think about your favorite superhero, right? Your favorite superpower. God can do all of it. He can do any of it. He's not limited. He can do anything. There is no superpower that God doesn't have. He can do anything he wants. So you should praise the Lord for that. There's nothing that God cannot do. God sits in the heavens. He's enthroned above the earth. And he does as he pleases. And you should praise him for it and be happy about it. You should praise God, verse 5, because his understanding is infinite. His knowledge of every conceivable subject cannot be measured, described, grasped, or cataloged, or exhausted. There is nothing to be known that God does not perfectly know. He cannot learn. Why? There's nothing he doesn't know. He doesn't, he lacks no knowledge. He cannot be confused. He cannot be puzzled. He cannot be perplexed. He cannot be disoriented. And there's never a time where he says, hmm, I don't know. He should be praised for his knowledge. Praise the Lord because though he is high and lifted up, he stoops to help the needy and the afflicted, verse 6. And you should praise God because he smashes the wicked. Our God has the ability to put things as they ought to be. He has the ability and the resources and the power and the motivation to reverse all the effects of evil. The meek in this life are low, so he raises them up. The wicked are high and exalted, and so he will kick them out at their knees, and their face will go in the dust where they belong. So praise the Lord, O peoples of the earth. You should praise God because of clouds. The clouds are not made by accident, and they were not made by you, were they? Every single day, God paints a new skyscape for us to see his glory and his beauty. You should praise him because of the clouds. Each one different in its texture and in its size and its color. You should praise God for the clouds that he has made. You should praise him because of the rain. He prepares the rain for the world. And if he doesn't, guess what, friends? We die. We're totally dependent upon it. Your fourth grade teacher didn't dream up the water cycle, girls and boys. God did that. He gets credit for it, and we should praise him for it. And it wasn't even hard for him. He causes the rain to fall because he is good and he is strong. And that rain falls, and he causes grass to grow. He causes it to grow in your yard, and he causes it to grow at the top of Roan Mountain. And that grass that feeds animals, which God has made, because God sustains it all. It's his world, and we should praise him for it. You should praise the Lord, verse 9, because his ears are so good and his heart is so tender that he responds even to the cries of young birds. Ravens, creatures that are useless to us, Yet the Lord is tender, even to them. You should praise the Lord, verse 10, because God always delights in the right things. He's not persuaded or attracted to evil. 
He's not prone to evil desires or sexual immorality. He always delights in what is good and what is beautiful. You should praise God because he strengthens the city and the gates and the bars. He, by his power, keeps evil at bay. He defends and preserves his people in a world of trouble. Demons and Satan come to him and ask permission. That's a great thought, isn't it? Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no. In the end, he fixes it all. Demons tremble at him. He made wood and rocks and iron and steel for us to protect. He sustains it all and supplies it all with ease. You should praise God, verse 13, because of children. The blessings of children. God made families. And how good and kind he is. For having done so. In his own time and in his own way, God gives families and he blesses and he provides. We as parents want so much to do good for our children and we're so limited. God can do it all and he does it all. We should praise him for that. I cannot hear you, church. Do you hear me? We should praise the Lord for his kindness to us, praise the Lord for the peace and the prosperity that he brings. He has prevented nuclear holocaust. And every day of quiet that you've enjoyed, every day that you've known without fear and terror, each one is a gift of God. Praise God, verse 14, because he has created and gives us food. If I, didn't, I haven't heard any amens, and I thought I would at least hear an amen on the food, right? Do you hear me, right? He, he gives us food, not just any food, but he gives us good food. God has not placed us in a barren wilderness, but in a world full of 10,000 varieties and ingredients and combinations of wheat and cheese and strawberries, which turn into strawberry cheesecake and pistachios and coffee. God has done all of this. What do you deserve? You should praise him for food. Church, I don't even have time to tell you of why you should praise him. And if I did, I would run out of words. And how much time and how many words and how many people and how many artists and how many musicians, how much would we need? You should praise the Lord. You should praise him, verse 15, because he has a voice of power. He made the world with words. He spoke into nothing and something came from nothing. Well, see that as a party trick. He made the world with words and he governs it with words. Look at all the different things that his words can do. He spreads snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down blocks, and hail, blocks of ice and hail upon the earth. Man can't even exist before the cold that his voice summons. You should praise the Lord for that. All the laws of weather and nature and science were not figured out by some scientist somewhere. They were dreamed up by God, made without effort, and put there so that you would praise his name. It wasn't even hard. He unleashes the wind with the word. He makes water flow. You should praise the Lord. And this same God speaks to humans. 
verse 19. He gives us his word. I don't mean to be rude, and I don't want to be insensitive. But what was your problem again? You see the effect? Placing all of God's beauty, if you stack it up, all of God's beauty, all of God's power, all of God's glory, set it up next to your problems. Do you see what effect it has on your circumstances and your perspective? If you're following along with the CBR reading plan, you would have read yesterday in Psalm 131. It's a short little psalm, and at first I scratched my head at it a few times. But I was preparing this sermon, and I think it fits of how we should respond to all this. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. So I've calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child with his mother. That is the effect of a child of God who looks at his problems, but then looks at God's power. This, brothers and sisters, is how God wants us to face our problems. To set them out on the table, sure, he cares about them, he knows about them, he's involved with them. But start stacking up God's attributes. Start making a list. You've got struggles? Yes. You've got weaknesses? Yes. Use the Bible to fight your way into the right perspective of them and then sing yourself to sleep. Because this God we've just described, he sits on the throne and he cares about you. Verse 11 says, set your hope in his faithful love. I love the old song that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful place, his face, and then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his beauty, his glory, and grace. Before we close, I want to offer four quick application points. The first is this, friends, we need to make sure we get the credit right. You need to make sure that in your life you get the credit right. As I went through each one of these things that God is praiseworthy for, I started to categorize them by things that I could do and things that I can't do. It was a short list. All these things God can do, yet they're all things that I try to do in my life, but I can't really do them with any regular success. Only God can. As much as I want to, as much as I try, I, I can't heal the brokenhearted. I can't throw hail across the plains of Kansas. I can't melt the dew on the top of a mountain. I can't cause my children to prosper. And in fact, if you've seen my yard, you know I'm not even that good at growing grass. We spend so much of our life with the foolish illusion that we make things happen for ourselves, And we steal the glory that belongs to God and turn it back on ourselves. That's why you feel empty and lost and broken. If you think about it, what does man even bring to this psalm? What, do, what does humanity contribute to 147? We bring sin, ruin, broken hearts, wounded people, wickedness, and need. What's God bring to the psalm? You want me to run back through that list, right? You see the point? 
God brings assets, we bring liabilities. So let's get the credit right. And let's give God all the praise for every good thing that he has done in our lives. A second point of application is to focus on God and your problems. I've already made this point. I hope that it's clear. But remember, God desires that in the midst of our struggles that we cry out like ravens to him. That we fill our hearts with scripture, which can set before us a true picture of God and his ways. Because our suffering and our problems really distort the way we can see God. And it's not true. His word clarifies that for us. We need to interpret our problems in light of his character. A third way to apply this to your life is to hope in God in the midst of your suffering. It is not enough to turn to God. It's not enough to sing to God or even to focus on his character. You need to trust him. Verse 11 reminds us that God delights in those who hope in his unfailing love. We need to take these truths about God's unfailing love and about who God is, and we need to condition our hearts in them. We need to spend time meditating on them and memorizing these truths until our problems grow smaller and smaller and our God gets bigger and bigger. We need to believe our God is really like this. Boys and girls, the God that your parents and your teachers talk about, he's really like this. He's beyond your imagination, and he will satisfy you. So you don't have to be afraid. One final point of application, obey. Obey his word. We flew through it, which is hard for me, but we've heard how our God uses words to spread snow, to scatter frost, to throw hail, to melt ice, to unleash winds. The same God that speaks to volcanoes and tells them when to erupt also speaks his word to you. And you better listen. Verse 19 reminds us that he shared his word with us, his chosen people, and we are blessed because we have access to it. So we better obey. There's a song out on the radio that says, if the winds and the waves obey him, so will I. If volcanoes obey, so will I. If rocks cry out and shout, so will I. You were made for this. So often it is when we're hurting and when we're suffering that we find it the hardest to obey, isn't it? That's when God's words sometimes makes the least amount of sense. Or when it's hardest to to obey. Sin is most appealing when the pain is the greatest. Temptation is powerful. And though this psalm doesn't detail how we're to deal with each one of the struggles and the problems we face in our life, the one thing it does do is remind us, obey. You can never go wrong when you obey God's clear commands. I pray, we're trying to teach that to our children. Boys and girls, hear me say again, you will never go wrong obeying God. He says he will never let you be put to shame. You can always trust him and do what he says, and it will make you happy in the end. When I'm hurting, 
when I'm talking and working with people who are hurting, one of the first things that I try to do in my life and encourage others is in the midst of brokenness and pain, look for something to obey. Look for God's, what can I, I don't understand, I may not understand what's going on in my life, but where do I need to obey God? What is he calling me to do? Because he always blesses obedience. And God delights in those who fear him. And those who fear him keep his word. As I looked yesterday at how some of the men in the history of the church have read and interpreted this psalm, one of the things that I noticed is that most of them seem to recognize that the God of this psalm is incredibly powerful and capable. But this psalm uniquely highlights how his power is not just up out there, but it comes down. God comes down to help us. His power is used, yes, to make lightning smash and clouds to float, but he uses his power to help the sinner and the brokenhearted and the wounded. God is not thundering off in the distance only, but he comes near to rebuild, to gather, to heal, to bless, and to strengthen. We have a God who is awesome in majesty, infinitely interesting, yet he, consents to, he condescends to us to live among us even to die as one of us. To get us out, to rescue us from this mess of sin. And now I speak of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came in the flesh to live among us and suffer what we suffer, to experience temptation like we experience, even to die as we die to save us from our sins. The psalm reminds us that God takes pleasure, verse 11, in those who fear him and in those who hope in his steadfast love. That is describing faith. Those who fear God, those who hope in God, and those who have placed their faith in God. The Bible says that that person, the one who recognizes that he is a sinner, if he calls out to the Lord, if he repents of his sins, he can be saved. God has made a way. He is rebuilding the city. He is gathering in the exiles. He has promised he is making all things new. You can't see much of it yet, but God is really good at keeping his promises, and he's really good at creating and making things new. So you can trust him. God's word always requires response from us. You can respond by shutting your heart down and forgetting it and turning back to the world. You can respond by turning your heart to the Lord. So we're going to take this time of invitation. I'm going to ask the, the musicians to, to come up and lead us. And we're going to move into a time of invitation. And as we do, I want to invite you to consider how is God calling you to respond to his word? We invite you to bow your heads for a few minutes and just spend time responding to God. Perhaps you're here this morning and you would say, you know what? I've known all this stuff about God. I know he can do all that. I know he's like that, but I don't pay much attention to him. I find other things more interesting. Video games. Sports, 
money, sin. Confess that to God and ask him to awaken your heart to sing his praise. Perhaps you're here today and you have never responded to God and asked him to save you. You've experienced the difficulties of life and many of the consequences of your own sin. But if you don't respond to him now, if you don't respond to him, you'll be like the wicked who are arrogant, thinking they don't need God. And God will kick your knees out from under you and you'll spend eternity away from his presence and his beauty. Would you turn to Christ? Confess your need for him, confess your sin and repent. Ask him to pay for your sin and follow him for the rest of your life. However you need to respond, we're gonna have a time of invitation. You can respond there in your seat, in your heart before the Lord. I'll be up here at the front. The altars are always open.